Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. First up is a new revision of Todd's PC Engine to TurboGrafx-16 controller adapter. This actually was supposed to have been in last week's podcast, but I ended up getting really sick and I didn't have time to add the section in and I talked about it in the Q&A, but I don't want to waste your time here. So uh, luckily it's still in stock, so I didn't miss one that maybe you might have missed out on. So if you're interested, the link is still the same. It's retrorgb.link forward slash PCE to TG16. That's the number two. Um, and this adapter is basically the exact same as the last one, but it's slimmed down. So Todd figured out a way to kind of streamline it a little bit. So functionality is exactly the same. It plugs directly in. It's kind of, uh, it plugs flush up against the console. So it doesn't have any kind of pigtail hanging out. And it just does exactly what it uh, what it, the name says. It allows you to put a PC Engine controller into a TurboGrafx-16. These are actually small enough, so you could fit all five next to each other if you're using a TurboTap or something like that, which, don't do that. Just go buy the PC Engine TurboTap uh, and change the adapter. But I think this was a really great picture because this kind of visualized how much smaller this was than the last one. So by all means, don't go toss your other one in the garbage and buy a new one. The other one's totally fine. It's just really neat to see Todd constantly improving this stuff and tweaking it and making it a little bit better. So if you're interested in plugging in Todd's tiny dongle, go pick up yours. They're still in stock. Next up, Rich White Guy just released two new versions of the Big PMU Atari Jaguar emulator, and there is a lot here. Rich is absolutely killing it with these updates. So the first update, which I put the video on the bottom of the page if anybody's interested, added support for JagLink, which was that telephone cord adapter thingy that allowed you to link up multiple Jaguars for only a few games that actually supported it, plus some homebrew. So that alone is awesome for preservation efforts and if you want to get a couple of PCs in the same room to do a, a land party style jagglink, that would work as well. And I, I praised the heck out of it. I just thought that was very cool that Rich would take the time to add it. I kind of knew he wasn't done there, but I didn't realize within two weeks, the next edition would be up that now adds Netplay for this, as well as Netplay for two players. So the jagglink protocol you could do over the net as well. 
But now you could also do something like just a standard two-player Jaguar game. I could play it here. Somebody could play it as long as you could VPN tunnel through. And you could select who's player one, who's player two, etc. So both of those are absolutely awesome. But Rich also hacked into Alien vs. Predator to add a multiplayer mode that theoretically could support up to 32 people, but Rich has tested it up to four, and that will also work over Netplay. So this is just, I mean, it's like modernizing the Atari Jaguar between the rendering and HD and all of the other amazing features. I mean, this is really, now you're actually able to, to play these games and really see what they could do. And you could add some enhancements and have some real fun with them. So I would love to do a live stream at some point in the future with a few of my, my fellow weirdo Atari Jaguar fans that would want to do something like this, where we'll do both a net link and then just a two player over the net and see what happens. I have a decent fiber connection, luckily. Uh, so I would probably suggest that somebody else ha uh, would have to have something like that, but I would love to do that. Um, you know, as always, thanks to Rich for continuing to update all of this stuff for free. If you want to support the project or if you want to get some of the beta updates, please, please consider supporting on Patreon. Um, I just I don't want to see Rich stop working on this because it's just I mean, I would have not guessed that two player net play would have been something that he had on his radar that was actually feasible to do and works decent. So definitely check out both videos if you're really interested. The video I put on the top uh, has the Alien vs. Predator stuff as well. So I would strongly recommend watching that if you're a fan. And if you want to know more about Rich, check out the interview we did a while back, which is mostly up to date other than, you know, the, the enhancements that the big PMU emulators had since then. Chris from Displaced Gamers just released the second video in a series behind the code of Strider for the NES. And this was another one that showed some of the bizarre ways that the game was coded and the physics versus the tables they were using. My personal favorite part was in the first couple of minutes, I think first within the first five minutes where Chris showed the two things that weren't broken <laughs> and basically everything else is but the jumping mechanics are just so weird and even as somebody that does not program video games and really only has a basic understanding of it it still was kind of mind-blowing to see how the game was programmed this way and it was almost it almost felt like one of those projects where you're just like all right, well, we could duct tape this part shut for today, but we got to wait till the real clamps come in and then you blink an eye and the entire thing's covered in duct tape and you would either have to reassemble the entire thing or just leave it. Like, it might be a stupid analogy, but it, it really is feeling like what this game kind of is. So if you're even remotely interested in how games work and you want to watch an example of how unbelievably broken an NES game could be, I would strongly recommend both this one and the previous video in the series because they were both interesting and it is just kind of funny to see how broken it is. And if you happen to be a developer listening who worked on that game, very unlikely but not impossible, I'd love to hear your side of it because I'd be willing to bet it was kind of a, a situation where devs were backed in a corner. They had to get it out the door. They probably were working on another game, if not multiple games, and just kind of pulled out the duct tape and, and started taping stuff up and just said, whatever, we got to move on. But I'd love to know the real story behind it because I'm pretty sure Chris makes it clear that he's never mocking the devs that do this, you know, especially coming back from a time where you couldn't just jump on the internet 
and have a treasure trove of information about the NES that you could just work on and and pull that info from. But I would really love to know, like, what was going on in their heads when this was happening? Were they aware of how horrible it was? Were they trying to do something new and innovative but didn't have enough time to finish it, so it ended up like this? I don't know. I would love to know the inside story behind that one. So if you are or know a dev that worked on NES Strider, please let me know. I'd love to have a talk about that. And of course, I'd bring Chris in on it as well. Steve from RetroTech just posted a video showing off the new composite to RF adapter from Mr. Add-ons. This is absolutely perfect if you have a really nice CRT that only has an RF input and you want to expand the capabilities. Of course, some of those can be RGB modded, but even if you RGB modded that TV, what if you still want to connect composite video to it? The adapter called the Reflex RF works exactly as you would expect. You just plug in your composite and audio source, set the channel, set the channel on your TV to match what the box has and connect it with a coax cable and that's it. So it just, it looks like a great option for people that want something small. It is NTSC only. It is not PAL or CCAM. And I'm not sure if it'll work with uh, any kind of Japanese consoles or on a Japanese TV. I think this was really just designed for NTSC North American consoles and stuff like that. But overall, I think it's absolutely awesome. How is it different from using a VCR? It's smaller. And I mean that with respect. So if you're on a budget and you could find a free VCR somewhere, you could accomplish the same thing at the same zero latency that this adapter does. But what if you don't live in an area where you could find one super cheap? Even if you got one for 20 bucks on eBay, you might be spending more on shipping than the cost of this adapter. And the cost is 40 bucks, which I wish it was cheaper, but that is not at all a dig against Mr. Add-on's pricing. I actually, I'm not sure how they're able to sell it this cheap and still make a profit. I'm just saying, like the example I used for the RT4K video, in a perfect world, we'd all fly first class, the RT4K would be less than 100 bucks, and this adapter would be $9.99. But that's not how life works. If something is assembled correctly, I mean, just the RF jack, or the RF and the RCA jacks are going to cost more than that, uh, even in bulk. So I just mean, this is one of those things that I think everybody would really appreciate having in their toolbox. Even if you only used it once or twice, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier than using a big VCR. It might be cheaper to get, uh, like I said before, to ship. But, you know, 40 bucks is 40 bucks. So decide how you want to use it. I personally will be buying one when they get back in stock. And I will be very happy that it's sitting in my toolbox and if I ever come across a beautiful, especially if you ever stumble across those TVs that were in somebody's guest room and they were only turned on like four times in the past 20 years, sometimes you can get a brand new, really nice TV. I think I would buy this even if I RGB modded it just so I could still have composite support for whatever else I wanted. So the adapter looks great. The price is fair, 100% fair. I just, it would be very cool if some miracle happened and we could all have one of these for cheap, but uh, either way, if you're still on a budget, just hunt down a VCR. You'll find one eventually. It'll work the same. Even if the VCR eats tapes, you could still use use it just for this. But if you want something much smaller, much easier to, to integrate in your setup, or if you just want something brand new that you don't have to worry about something dying a month after you bought it because it's 30 years old, definitely consider it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This one. Mike Chi has just released the CAD drawings for the upcoming RetroTink 4X scaler. And this will allow people who create different accessories or maybe even alternative cases to get those ready before the launch. And there's already some designs that have been shown off. First, Todd from RetroFrog has shown off a vertical stand that also has a slot to hold the remote, much like he did for the RetroTink 5X that I thought was a very cool design. Kaitor Industries has taken their their, uh, previous experience with SCART braces and also taken advantage of the screw terminals next to the SCART input to have a brace that could lock your SCART cable in place so it won't pop out or slowly back itself out over time. I thought that was pretty awesome. And also, Greg from LaserBear was able to make a mock-up of a fan addition to it, which you're not going to need if the Tink 4K is just sitting on a shelf somewhere or, you know, sitting on your TV stand. That's how I've been using it, and it's never gotten too hot to use. But what if you're rack mounting it? What if you're putting it in an AV closet? Something like this is just a very good addition that even if you didn't need in that closed-in scenario, it's probably a really good idea. So it's cool to see all of this stuff. Um, You know, funny, this kind of brings up uh, a constant battle with these weekly updates, is I always try to fit in a mix of information for just anybody who wants to listen, but also for people who are developers and other creators in the scene. And this is one of the few crossovers that I think most people could understand. Because while I'm really talking to the devs in the scene, like, hey, what if you're a veteran 3D printer, like the people that I just talked about? Or what if you started to make some designs and you want to make something new to sell that people could use? Maybe this is for you. Maybe you could make up some cool little adapter or redo the entire case for something crazy. Who knows? But this also speaks to people who just want to buy accessories because I guarantee you there's at least a few people listening going, I hate it when the SCART cable pops out. I can't wait to buy that brace from Sky- from Kaitor. So this is just one of the few moments that I really get to talk to both just people that are fans of this stuff as well as devs at the exact same time. And most people would completely understand the overlap. So I just thought it would be fun to take a, a quick moment to bring that up and to just to say thank you to everybody for putting up with me because I very often don't get the balance right and talk too much towards the devs or too much towards the consumers or but I'm trying and I'm always trying to get better but luckily stuff like this makes it super easy because I think we all get this one so can't wait to see the Tink 4k launch uh, and I also can't wait to see whatever weird and wonderful designs people come up with now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source As usual, if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and check out Lou's video where he shows video examples and gives you a lot more details. Uh, First up, RetroCastle is working on a more affordable NFC scanner PCB with a range of 5 centimeters. 
This will be fully compatible with Wizzo's NFC script, and the design will be open source, so any Mr. Vendor would be able to develop it and sell it as well. Uh, so that's awesome. I really loved that. I loved that whole tap to load your game thing, and it's cool that it'll be accessible to more people for a cheaper price. So thank you very much to Ivory from Retro Castle for working on that. Also, next up, Extreme Mister is now accepting pre-orders for their Mister I.O. board, and this board supports JAMA, JVS, three CRTs, and one HDMI output at the same time. It also has multi-host and four-player snack, plus a whole bunch of different things. There's three different boards with different features being offered. So if you were looking for another choice of these boards, definitely check this out. There's a bunch of other really good ones available, but stock is always an issue. And that's not throwing shade. That's just, it is what it is. You're trying to balance keeping stock of a product that you're not going to sell a million of. So you can't just go out and order 10,000, but at the same time, you know, with these smaller orders, you have to find a, a happy medium. So I get why they're often out of stock, but these days there's so many good choices that it comes down to whichever one's in stock is the one that you probably will end up buying. So while this is a pre-order, not in stock, I would check out the features and kind of get a sense of when this is coming in stock and uh, if this is something that you'd like, or if any of the three versions are what you would like. Next up, Robert, the N64 core developer, has posted a ton more updates. There's a few games that are completely playable now, and every week I say this, but every week I mean it. I can't believe how fast he's progressing through all of this. If you want more details, please, please consider signing up for Robert's Patreon, as you get really detailed updates and, you know, up to the minute stuff about what's going on, but also you get to support a dev that's about to, you know, is blowing through a core that many of us thought would take much, much longer to implement. So thanks to Robert. Also, Pramod posted a video of Smash TV booting up on the Mister. It's not yet pixel perfect, but he has the Y-Unit base platform working. And this game uses a lower resolution than NARC, and its pixel clock is 8 megahertz, so that helps the game fit in one SD-RAM module. However, that's not set in stone, and all that stuff could change as development progresses. But very, very cool to see those Y-Unit games starting to work on Mister. It's getting exciting. Uh, also, the Pramod cores are going to now be part of the CoinOp collection, so if you'd like any of those, all you have to do is just go into Update All, enable the CoinOp collection, which if you're playing arcade games, you've already done that, and if you haven't, you really should have, <laughs> and this will just be part of that. So cross your fingers, but if these Midway unit cores are starting to progress, that means we might really get Mortal Kombat sometime soon. It's really exciting. I don't even want to say it out loud. I don't want to jinx it, but... Anyway, as always, thanks so much to Lou for keeping up with this stuff. There's no chance I would be able to, and it's really awesome to have all of this stuff just compiled in one very easy-to-read post and very cool video to watch. So thank you very much to Lou. Don't forget to subscribe to, subscribe to him as well. Next up, Modsville USA just posted a video about a complicated but awesome mod that allows you to integrate an M2 SSD alongside your DVD drive in version 12 and 13 PS2 Slims. So this is both really complicated, but absolutely awesome at the same time. As long as you have the PS2 Slims that are able to have their IDE circuitry rebuilt, the V12 and V13s, I believe in the video, uh, Modsville shows which exact models fall under that category. But 
in order to do this, you need to do a complicated install and you also need to cut your case. So hopefully more cases will be available. There are those kind of junky ones available from the Notorious Clone Company. And while it's not a clone, it's still supporting that company. Uh, but they're super cheap. I, I hope somebody would was able to make their own that's a little better quality and maybe even has uh, punch outs so that you could snap out. If you want to do this mod, you don't have to cut. You could just snap it out. But for now, you're going to have to cut it. So you either have to cut your original shell, which sucks, or just find a really beat up PS2 Slim shell to do that too. But the ability to have an M2 SSD and retain the DVD drive is awesome. For me personally, I accomplish this with RetroNAS. I just plug a network cable into my PS2, load all the games off of the network, and if I need to run an original disc, I could just still use the disc drive that way. But not everybody's set up for that. Not everybody is going to want to have a full network option just for a PS2. And if you have something where you just want to contain it all in one spot, you can't really get any better than this on a slim. You could obviously kind of do the same thing with a PS2 fat and a regular hard drive. The other neat thing about this is it fits in perfectly if you're also doing a retro gem install. So you could actually have a PS2 slim like the one Modsville showed that has HDMI output an M2 SSD the original DVD drive in a replacement clear shell so you don't have to feel bad about hacking up the original. I, I would strongly recommend watching this video even if you're only slightly interested in this because it's just, it's such a very cool project to see and uh, it, all of it's really impressive. So this is not going to be how everybody gets their games on their PS2, but this is a very, very neat option and it's something you should think about, especially if you're a modder that's skilled enough to do this. Maybe consider offering this at the right price, not don't undersell yourself. But I think this is something a lot of people might really want. So check out the video and see if you're interested. Pandemonium Reviews just posted an absolutely awesome documentary about the leaked Sega documents that show a much different picture of the rumors of why we thought Sega of America eventually failed. And it was really, really good. I had watched most of Nick's live stream when this came out. I'd been following a lot of the coverage of this. The Shiro crew obviously always does a great job with this stuff. But this one documentary just wrapped it up so perfectly that even if you'd read through the documents, I think you'd still enjoy watching it. I watched every moment. It flew by. It did not feel like an hour-long documentary. It was pretty interesting. And while, yeah, there's a lot of talk of numbers, Nick really presents it in a way where it never feels boring. It always is in context to what you're, they're talking about. And I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't praise this one enough. I thought this was absolutely an awesome documentary. Anybody that's even remotely interested in that whole downfall of Sega, that console wars, the 90s, and I think you would be pretty interested in this. The few things that really stood out, and you know, I guess spoilers a little bit, so skip to the next section if you don't want to hear it. But the thing that really stood out to me is how some of the big box retailers would force Sega to make a ton of stuff. And then if it didn't sell off as fast, they would send it back. So that's why there was often warehouses full of Sega stuff that didn't get sold. It wasn't really Sega's fault at all. They weren't in a position to say no. They had to just do what they were told. So that was really interesting to see. Um, and there was a couple other fun little tidbits. The only other thing I'll add is 
Um, Nick did a whole thing in the beginning where there was footage from an old Sega promotional thing that was in, uh, in slow motion for a bit. If you're like me and you use every single display in your house as a test display for whatever the heck it is that you're working on, you would immediately think there's something wrong with your screen. But the whole slow motion thing was, you know, it was a funny effect. You know, it's the slow decline of Sega, slow... I I get it, but it did take me a minute to figure out that there was nothing wrong with my TV and that uh, I didn't change a setting or mess with anything. It was just the, you know, artistic choice for an opening. So I thought it was cool, especially once I realized the joke was on me because there was nothing wrong with my setup. But yeah, I don't know. I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. Um, You know, all of Nick's documentaries are excellent and which is why i asked him to write up his own documentaries because i'd love to even it's just a if it's a little blurb i'd like to see this in his own words to go with it so uh you know welcome nick you're always welcome to post whatever you'd like here but definitely keep posting your documentaries because i want everybody to see them they've all been awesome uh, and this one definitely didn't disappoint well, that's it for this week. I got so sick last week, I still have no idea what happened. Somebody said it sounded like norovirus, which if you ever have the opportunity to get, don't. It's terrible. But uh, I'm bouncing back. It's the first day I actually feel normal the whole day so far. Uh, so I'm going to be catching up on a lot of stuff. I know I missed a ton of posts about cool stuff I should be talking about. Nothing with uh, pre-orders or nothing with time limits on it, I think. But I- I'm still just kind of clawing my way out from under this and trying to figure out what I missed. So expect a couple of live streams. Um, expect some posts of things that might be a little bit outdated, but I still want to get the info out. And I hope to be doing, I, I hate to call it in advance because these things always go wrong on me, but I hope to be doing just a fun laid back Sega Master System live stream with Stika coming up. So uh, I think that might be this Saturday. And just a fun, like, I need to test a couple of Master Systems and I want to try out a few things. And who else am I ever going to do that with other than Stika? So I'll, I'll keep everybody posted, but that should be Saturday unless I get sick again or whoever. Who knows what, what the heck happens when I have to cancel these things at the last minute. That's why I almost never, ever hype up live streams because something almost always goes wrong before or during but hopefully i could still do this one anyway thank you to everybody who watches listens plays nicely in the comments and thank you especially to anybody who supports in any way possible because it is you who's keeping this all going so thank you all so much and i'll see you next week <laughs>